0: Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you all today. If you have your Bibles with you or your uh, Bible app on your phone or Bible gateway on your phone, turn with me, if you will, to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at just two verses today, verses 9 and 10. We are in week 6 of 7 in our series, I Am Who You Say I Am, because First Peter 1 and 2 has the biggest grouping of statements that God through the scriptures, makes about us, perhaps in the entire New Testament. We are told so many things about our identity as people who are in Christ. So we're going to wrap up next week. And I was thinking this morning, as I was looking back over these notes, how important it is to see the logical progression that, that Peter has made, the logical way in which he has tried to share with us just what Christ has done and who we are because of it, and as we look into these words today, we are going to see some big, big statements once more about who God says that we are, who God says that we are, and in the midst of that, I'm going to encourage you towards the back half of the message today to remember God says who we are, but we also have to be ourselves in who God says that we are. Can't be, can't be more than God has created us. We, we, are, we are his servants right where we're at, and it is our job to be the best servants at the place that we're at right now, just as Pastor Otto has already informed us today. One of the biggest moments of my life happened when I was 10 years old. In fact, I'm sort of thinking about it now, and it might have been the biggest. No, I'm just kidding. 10 years old had an incredible, important moment because I was coming up to bat in the city championship game for Cuyahoga Falls in the bottom of the sixth inning. Yeah, Cuyahoga Falls South League, I was coming up to bat bottom of the sixth down a run in what most little boys dream about, but not me. I didn't dream about it because I wasn't any good at baseball, and by the end of that season, I knew it. T-ball was good, minors or coach pitch was all right. By the time I got to the minors, I realized that I was not operating in my God-given gifting. So when I came, to, came into the on-deck circle, I was thinking to myself the entire time, this can't be right. I, I can't be coming up to the plate in the most important inning of the entire season. They are definitely going to pitch hit for me. But lo and behold, a few moments later, I moved from the on-deck circle into the batter's box, wanting to throw up. It was a, a moment of pure terror, because on the mound was the best pitcher in the entire South League. This guy could throw fire, and I knew it, and I faced him earlier in the year, and I couldn't get my bat to catch up to what he was throwing, even if I had prayed for weeks. It just was not going to happen. Now, if you follow modern sports, you know the big talk about sports right now is analytics, all right? The mathematical probabilities of certain things that need to happen happening. Well, I didn't need any analytics to know exactly what I should do to help benefit the team. My job that day was simple. Do not let the bat leave your shoulder. I reasoned that the only chance I had of getting on base as the tying run was to hope that the pitcher was a little wild. And if he would just throw me four balls, I would make my way to first base and do exactly what God had put me on this planet to do. So I took pitch number one, pitch number two, pitch number three, pitch number four, pitch number five, three-two count, Full count. And just for a flicker of a second, I thought, he's got to throw me a strike. I might swing. And then I thought, that would be stupid. <laughs> so I let the ball come in, and if it was off the outside corner, it was just off the outside corner. Ball four, got on base, represented the tying run in the game that we eventually won. Now you might say, Pastor Matt, you wimped out And I want to look at you and said, I just had to be me. (laughs) And, And the best thing that I could do for my team at that moment was not lift the bat off my shoulder, but try to take a walk. That's what I had to do. And I'm going to encourage you, as much as God says that you are in Christ, I need you as Christians to take that in with all of your heart, but to remember that you are you. And you have something that you are to do that's unique And in this particular instance, as we read verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, you have some things to say that are going to be unique to you. Let's look at verse 9 and 10, some of the most beautiful language of the entire New Testament, if I do say so myself, and I do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter comes back to his theme, but now he just kicks it into gear and says, I'm going to give you everything that you are in Christ. A- and he wants to let these people know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are in You are in with God. It's been a theme since verse 3, or actually verse 1. It's been a theme the whole way along. You're elect exiles. You're right where God has you. You're God's chosen people. God has you in the palm of his hands. And now he applies four big terms that were actually terms in the Old Testament that were used for the nation of Israel. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession, and some most of this language is found in Exodus chapter 19, but th- but these are these are words applied to God's chosen people. And he said, those people who had the mission to represent God to the world, they're you now. You are those people. You're in. Now, this was incredibly important to the original readers of this from Pontius and Galatian, and Bithynia, and Cappadocia. These were people who we know were persecuted. They were people that we know faced really hard for any number of reasons. They were folks who perhaps had been in prison, perhaps had been tortured, certainly were socially ostracized, perhaps economically disadvantaged because of their Christianity. They're having a hard time of it. There were a lot of misnomers about Christianity going around at that time. There were were huge misunderstandings about what Christianity represented. There's ancient writings that talk about the cannibals that Christians are. Because every time they meet, they eat the body and blood of some dude named Christus. Every time and they were, they were assumed to be cannibals. I'm not even kidding. Like, this was really going on. Cannibal Christians. Christians were also called haters of humanity. You want to know why? They had the audacity to let men, women, slaves, and free persons worship in the same gathering and eat at the same table. And that was getting around town going, the men and the women and the slaves and the freedmen, they're all eating dinner together. And, and, and this was upsetting the social order because Christians had the audacity to see equality in people. And so one ancient commentator called Christians haters of humanity because they're upsetting the natural order of things. See, Christians had, had people who didn't understand them, who were, who were being hard on them. And so Peter's writing to folks who might have been questioning, hold on a minute. Here I've, I've given my life to Christ, and here I've, I'm a Christian, but things aren't going well. Things aren't going exactly as I hoped they might go. Things have not worked out well for me since this decision. Maybe I'm not really a Christian at all. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe, maybe God doesn't have his hand on my life. Maybe some people had even slipped out the back door when persecution came or denied Christ completely because they were afraid. It would have been easy for these people to, to say, I don't know that I'm in. And that's why Peter, for two chapters over and over again, says, If you confess Jesus Christ, if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you're in. It wasn't your goodness or your righteousness or how awesome you were that got you in in the first place. It was God's choice. It was God's election. It was God coming after you. He needs to tell these people over and over and over again by using a myriad of different descriptions that you are in. That you are in because of what God's done. And you have to recognize that today too because I hear stuff like this all the time. I'm not a Christian like they're a Christian. I don't know that I'm really in with God. I don't know if I'm, I don't know. And people bring up these questions time and time again. You must remember, if you you remember nothing else from this series when we are finished with it, remember this, God chose you long before you chose him. And God accepted you into his heart long before you accepted Christ into yours. That's the hope that Peter is promulgating towards this group. He wants them to know you are in with God. You're in, no matter the doubts you have. You might say, well, I'm not righteous like that person's righteous. Don't worry, that person's not as righteous they like the, you to think they're righteous. I, I don't know enough of the Bible to really call myself a, a Christian. I, I, I have doubts sometimes when my head hits the pillow. Sometimes I'm one way at church on Sunday, but I've messed it all up by Monday. I'm not sure that I'm in. Remember, if you remember nothing else from this series, you're in. Not only are you in, but God gives you the highest level of being in. He calls you His chosen people, just like Israel. He says, You are now the people who represent me to the world. That's why He uses statements like holy nation and royal priesthood. Not only are you in, but you're on. God has a work for you to do. And that's what these words mean. We've talked about it the last few weeks. That to be holy is to be set apart for service to God. And that to be priests is to be people who stand between a needy people and a just God. Our, God. our goal in life, our job in life is not just to revel in the fact that God has called us by name. But we revel in that fact and then we try to pull other people into the sphere of God's love and his care and his goodness. That's our job. It's who we're supposed to be. So royal priests, holy nation, chosen race people are not people who just revel in the goodness of God, but they are people who are interested in making sure that other people can revel in the goodness of God. That's what a priest does. He stands between people who don't know God and people who do know God or people who, who were estranged from God and people who no longer want to be estranged from God. He wants to bring people back into relationship with God. That's your job. And Peter's going to tell you exactly how to do it. You are needed for something. And this something is right here in verse 9. It says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. In order that, in order that, it's a subjunctive clause in the Greek. You're welcome, you grammar majors. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness in to his marvelous the job of all the priests, the job of the entire nation, the job of every person who calls themselves a Christian is to proclaim the excellencies. Maybe your Bible says sing or speak the praises or declare the goodness or speak of the pleasing acts of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the connecting tissue of what each and every Christian who has been called by name is involved in. This is what makes us Christian is that we are ones who tell the world what God has done. This is what we are needed for. We are needed to tell the world that God is good, that God loves and that God sets people free, that God can make a change, that God can make a way, that God is who he says he is. That's our job. Now you say, why is that? Is God up there feeling a little low self-esteem? Is this what's going on with God, that, that he's feeling a little low on himself? He needs people to affirm him regularly. God, I sing your praises because I don't want you to feel bad about yourself today. I mean, I'll stand in the lobby later and people will walk by me and they'll go, nice message, Pastor Matt. It hit me right here. And I'll go, yes, thank you. Because you will be proclaiming the excellencies of this particular sermon. Just don't do that today. Don't even tell me nice sermon. In fact, if you walk by me today just because I've been joking about it, just say, it's okay. All right? Just leave it there. All right? Just leave it there. Because that's not a good human inclination to need praise from people, right? God doesn't have that need. So why is that our job? Why is it our job to proclaim those excellencies? Because we were once in a place where many people are at today. Once we were in darkness. Once we didn't belong anywhere. Once we'd not received mercy. And there's a world of people out there today who don't know that the mercy of God is even a thing. They don't know that God has given us a place to belong. And they have no idea that they're walking in darkness until somebody tells them that there is an excellent, a good, and a praiseworthy God who loves them, who does good by his people, and who wants to have a relationship with them by which they will be changed. You see, our job as Christians is to say God is good. God is trustworthy. God is worth serving. God is real and He's doing things in our lives today because there's an entire world of people out there. They're not so sure about that. Many people who believe in God believe in a very deistic God, they believe in deism. God sent this world spinning into motion and He doesn't have any impact in the lives of people today. There's people that you know that don't think that God's personal. Or if they do think that He's personal, they certainly don't think that He's good. But you know different. That's why you're needed. You know the excellencies of God. I had the opportunity to talk with my staff two weeks ago and my small group this week about these passages, and you see and you hear people say, like, God set me free. God saved me. God's convicted me at just the right moment. God's made me stronger. God's miraculously provided. God's turned my life around. God changed me. God made a way for me. You hear these things, Here in church, and when you hear them, it's wonderful to hear. It's it's heartening to hear. It reminds us that God is always at work. Even when we don't see it, he's working in the lives of people. But there are people that we know that don't know that God's excellent, don't know that he's praiseworthy, don't know that he's good. You know, many times as Christians, we get this mixed up. We think that it's our job to let the world know about sin, but the book of John tells us, Jesus' own words, that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. It's the Holy Nation's job to remind people that God is good. See, we Christians get this backwards sometimes. We, we want to we tell the world how sinful it is. And, and, and sometimes we do it with the, right under, with the right understanding. We want people to come to Christ. We want them to repent. We want them to get rid of their sin and come to Christ. We, we do it, but, but, but our job is not to tell the world that they're sinful. Our job is to tell the world that he is good, that he's made a change, that he's made a way, that he's done something in our lives that is absolutely needed. That's who Christians are. After all, what was broken in the Garden of Eden? What was broken is that Adam and Eve were folks, if you read Genesis chapter 3, who didn't think God was trustworthy anymore. I think he lies. I don't know that he has what's good for me in his heart. I'm not sure that I trust him anymore. You know, there's a world of people out there that they're just not sure if he's good. Just not sure if he's trustworthy or don't even know that he has a desire to be in their lives today. You exist to proclaim it. You are needed to proclaim the excellencies of the God who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But you gotta be you. You have to be you. You have to authentically share what's taken place in your life You know what had taken place in Peter's? Thanks be to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us, by his mercy, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That was Peter's authentic testimony. You want to know why? He saw Christ raised from the dead. He saw a resurrected Jesus. It changed his life. He became an apostle. He traveled everywhere preaching Jesus is risen. There's hope for humanity. Put your faith in him. That was his story. Interestingly enough, you did not see the resurrected Christ. If you did, I would love you to talk with our safety and security team after the service today. They'll ask you a few questions and then get you in contact with the Stowe Police Department. Anyhow, if th- 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 that is something you didn't see. But what have you seen? What have you experienced? What do you know? You've got to be you. It is incumbent upon you as a priest of God to share the excellencies of God. So what has been excellent in your life? He said, I don't know that I've thought about that. Well, it's time to think. I was telling my staff, I says, you know what? When I think of coming out of darkness and into light, I think of the people who I have trusted in the church over the years who have looked at my life and said, hey, Matt, if That's darkness. Hey, Matt, that's not right. Hey, Matt, you don't want to live there anymore. And of course, every time somebody calls me out on something, I love it immediately. In fact, I love to have things pointed out in me that are character flaws. It's the best. No, I'm kidding. I don't like it at all. Years ago, I, I, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more in second service than I did in first. Years ago, I had an elder come, and he walked into my office on a Tuesday night, and he closed the door behind him and he he said, and I, I didn't tell the first service this, but I like you better, so I'll tell you the truth. He said, you are being very performance oriented as a pastor right now. You want people to know how hard you're working. He said, you need to go home to your wife and kids. And I had all of these things on a to-do list on a whiteboard, and that jerk erased them all right in front of me. I was so mad. But he doesn't know I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm not sacrificing my kids and wife on the altar ministry. How dare he? One of the best things that anybody has ever done for me was brought to light my darkness. Brought to light my need to have people see me working hard. It wasn't healthy, and it wasn't of the Lord. That's just one of a million a million ways that I could talk about the goodness of God, that somebody would have the gall to tell me something that I needed to hear desperately. That's my authentic story. I can't tell you about the time that I was nearly dead in a ditch from this or that. I don't have have that story. But there are people who do have that story. It was so funny in first service. I said, there are some of you who have received the mercy of God. You are going to die, and God saved your life. And so many people said amen that other people started laughing. They thought it was a joke. But there are people who literally were were, going to leave this earth because of the effects of their sin. God turned their lives around and changed them. There was a guy that that, that was sharing with me the other day. He said, you know what? Everywhere I've gone for the last 15 years of my life, and I've had to travel a lot, I have found a community of Christians that gave me belonging that I never had growing up. All of us have a different story. All of us have a different tale to tell as far as the goodness of God. And some of you are so new in the faith or, or you're not in the faith a lot. You're, 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 you come to church and, and you're trying to figure it out. You just gotta be you. All you may have today is, you know what? I've been going to church. Why? Well, I don't know. But people are nice there. And I feel like, and I know this sounds crazy, but when I'm there, that God's speaking something into my heart. That might be all you have. You be you. You be you. Pastor Matt, that testimony did not include the words atonement, redemption, or salvation. Therefore, it is nil and void. No! You be you. What's your story? What's your story? What got you back into church, for those of you who are out of it? What happened? What was God doing? What's God done since you've been here? What's he changed in your heart? What's he changed in your life? What's the goodness of God displayed to you? Not everybody has a massive, miraculous healing to tell about, but there are people who do. Not everybody has that. Some people, all they have is the ability to talk about God's faithfulness through the fire. Well, tell somebody who needs to hear it. Some of you are like, I could never tell anybody I'm an introvert. Well, I want to tell you introverted seekers need introverted Christians to share about the goodness of God. Introverts need Christ too. You know what? I, I suppose today that there's a lot of people who you're going to co- come into contact with, and, and you can attempt to convince them of their sin and need for a Savior. You could. You could. Might not be the best course of action, but you could. But there's a lot more people who have a strong inclination that there is a God and they don't know what to make of him. You know that he's excellent. You know that he's good. You know that he's trustworthy. And you've got to be you. You've got to authentically share where you are. Some of us can go out and hit a home run. But maybe all you have in you today is to take a walk. That's okay. All Our prayer is for you today is that you recognize that if God has done everything that he says he's done in you, you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light so that someone else may know that God loves them and has a hope and a future for them as well. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, I've heard it said that a witness is someone who authentically shares their version of events. God, so many of us are Christians today because someone shared their version of events. They planted the seed of your trustworthiness. They lit the flame of your goodness. They uncovered a snippet of your love to another human being. God, we know absolutely that you are always at work. At work in the lives of the people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at work in the lives of our family members and our loved ones. God, we know that you are not willing that any should perish. God, we know that you have been using the stories of people just like us to win people to you for two millennia. God, I didn't pray this in first service, but I pray this today. If there's any of us who are your children who have forgotten who we are, have fell down into negativity, fear, and angst, rather than stood up in the strength that the Lord provides. I pray that you would help us to stand today. Help us to stand, Lord Jesus. Help us to remember your goodness. Help us not, Lord, to operate in fear, depression, anxiety, Lord I pray for just a few minutes instead we would think about the goodness of God his mercies his hope his mighty acts what he's done some of us have lots of stories some of us have only a few Lord, we recall them today. We bring them to our remembrance that others may know. Your light, your love, and your mercy. For just a few minutes in this place today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray and I'm going to invite you to prepare your mind for action. If somebody were to ask you tomorrow, why do you go to church? What's so good about God? What would you say? What would you communicate? You say, I'm not a hitter. I ride the pine. Well, get off the bench. You're needed. God has something for you, someone for you to share with. So, for just a few minutes, say, God, what is it that I would share? What's real to me? Not what's going to convince the hardest atheist tomorrow to accept Jesus. Just, just what would I say? What's so good about you? Why am I drawn to you? And then I want you to pray, Lord, give me at least one person this week that I can share this with. One person. don't want to force it. I don't want to be weird. I just, I just need to get in the habit of remembering that I'm a priest. There's somebody that needs to know that you're trustworthy. Can we just pray to that end today? And once we have, A.J. will lead us in song. Let's let the Lord prepare our minds for action for just a few minutes as we